Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I got to say, sitting in Brad's spot, I really thought he'd have a booster seat over here. That's I it. thought he did as well. So <laughs> maybe uh, maybe I'm too too hard on him. I could have sworn to be able to see over his phone and to see your face, he'd need like a, a padded cushion or something under it. But you, no. you do look a lot taller than Brad does in that spot. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I had to pay Evan quite a bit to say that. Uh, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, it's just Evan and I today. No Brad. Uh, in the third chair, we have our, as usual, we'll swap it out eventually, but we have our Mark Stahl 1000 uh, game shirt, which is... Uh, Still looks good. Good stand-in, better than any of us. Brad dodged this episode, which I think is funny because we have to immediately recognize that for record time this season, I think in record time, actually last after last episode, we were immediately wrong about <laughs> something that we <laughs> talked about in a focused way with Jonathan Berggren being called up. I think that's like, I think that might be the first one this year. Yeah. You know, we always joke like, oh, well, the trade's going to happen as soon as we have to go on vacation or Brad's stuck on the highway somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is the first one this year where <laughs> I think you couldn't have hit publish and then that news came out any sooner. It was so funny. And I remember looking at my phone, seeing the notification come through. And I was like, first excited because Berggren was being called up. And then I was like, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I was like, uh, you know what? We opened our stupid mouths and put it out into the world. Yeah. It ended up being the Soderblom injury changed things. And he wasn't yeah. going to be called up if not for that. But I was like, I, I sent it in the chat actually. And I, I had some choice words about it in a, in a joking way. I was like, yeah, that's, uh, that's our first one this year. We're very on brand, at least. Oh yeah, yeah. So the next time you you know want a player to be called up, you want a big trade to happen, you know, let us know, and uh, the seal is broken now. So now when we talk about something, we're uh, we're challenging the hockey gods. Really, we're just challenging Steve Eisenman, and he decides how stupid we look that day. Yeah, pretty much. Silly game to play, but we do it anyways. All right, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey, which we. Sometimes good, sometimes not. Uh, the world is the NHL and hockey beyond. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. And I'm Evan. Brad, not here today. He is uh, stranded on a desert island. Evan and I had the chance to save him, and we chose not to. How am I going to know what the Buffalo Bills did today? Oh, God. I Oof. don't know. How am I supposed to know? I, I'm now out of sync with, with their season. I thought it was bad enough with Brad, but then finding out that Derek Lalone is also a big Bills fan, which like, hey, I have no problem with the Bills, but I'm like, oh, Brad is not going to shut up about That's this. That's not good. <laughs> great, great piece of information. Always glad to hear more about players and coaches' personal lives and have some personality, but that one was I not ideal it, for us. <laughs> I hate when it makes Brad happy. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. He, he perks up, which is a remarkable thing because you don't think he could be any peppier. Think well. It's easy for me because like all hockey players apparently love to golf, so like I don't even need it. Doesn't even even need to no. be brought brought up. It's a given. Yeah. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be covering the two games that the Red Wings played, which um, you know were tough to watch at different points for different reasons, but we'll be covering them nonetheless. We'll be talking about uh, what the Red Wings have to look forward to in their Western uh, road trip or West Coast road trip coming forward. We'll talk about how uh, Jonathan Berggren looked and uh, what. Tyler Bertuzzi and maybe even Jake Wallman might be able to do for this team. And then we'll uh, cut to an interview that we recorded with good friend of the show, Prashanth Iyer, to um, 
the topics might seem a little bit different now because we we recorded before or after the Rangers game before the Kings game, but we'll be talking about where the Red Wings stand this season, what the underlying numbers say about them, uh, and a lot of other really um, interesting stuff. We'll come back. We have some NHL news, and then we'll jump into overtime. Before that, folks, Thursday, December 1st is something that we're very, very excited for. Hot Stove Stories with Mickey and Ken. It is at Motor City Casino in Detroit. Uh, It is a breakfast event, so uh, starts at 8 a.m. Breakfast is served, and more importantly, you are going to be served with a ton of fantastic stories, uh, banter, uh, live Q&A with the audience, which would be you. Uh, It features not only Mickey Redmond and Ken Daniels, uh, but also special guests Chris Draper and Chris Osgood, as well as refereeing legend Dan O'Halloran and current refereeing legend Wes McCauley. Uh, Unfortunately for you, I'll be there playing uh, moderator, but uh, those guys are really going to bring the uh, the good stuff in terms of story. And, uh, well, Mick's going to be going at the refs, which is always a good time. So, uh, of course, everything in that benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So it's a wonderful cause. Uh, you get served breakfast, you get a chance to meet and talk to uh, these NHL legends, these refereeing legends, and uh, you help promote uh, the fight against substance use disorder. So go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets. I really hope to see that room full when we're there. I hope to see as many of you as possible. And uh, of course, there's going to be a live auction with, with some incredible merch. And very, very shortly, the silent auction ahead of the event will be going up as well. So stay tuned to jamiedanielsfoundation.org for that too. Okay, the the Red Wings, since last episode, have had a time. They've so, had one good period. No, two good periods. Yeah, I'll, I'll give them a cumulative two good periods. No, even more than that, actually. Because wow, look at you, the optimist. Yeah, right? Well, I'm in, I'm in Brad's chair. Uh, let's talk about the New York Rangers game first. And it started out, like, there was a lot of excitement in that game because Jonathan Berggren slotted into the lineup. He was playing on Joe Valeno's wing, harks back to their... Um, their chemistry from the Grand Rapids Griffins yep. days, which, by the way, thank you, Grand Rapids, for your noble sacrifices of some of your best players to the Red Wings. Um, it, the game didn't start out too, too hot. Obviously, 15 minutes in, Mika Zibanejad scored to give New York the lead, but it wasn't too far after where Joe Valeno had a great play moving up the ice. He utilized his speed, had that give and go uh, with Berggren. So Berggren got his first NHL point after Valeno had a fantastic finish. Uh, Mata also got the assist on that. So, uh, it didn't take long for Berggren to get his first point. And I honestly think he looked good for both games that he played. Yeah, I think, you know, even at a high-level assessment, like, he looked very comfortable out there, mm-hmm. which is tough to do, especially given that you're coming against in against the Rangers and then subsequently uh, the LA Kings as well. So the fact that he didn't look like he was in over his head was, was very a very good sign. They started him out on the, you know, quote-unquote fourth line next to Valeno. Obviously, once you get into the bottom six, it, it just changes, depends yeah. on um, uh, ice time. But I did like that they did that. I I like that they stuck him with Valeno. That's a familiar face. And you're not sticking the guy, even though the Red Wings have a talent deficiency right now in their top six and they need some kind of playmaker. Um, for the first game, at least, they gave him a little bit more of a sheltered ease-in role, which is the easiest thing to do for a coach, but I... It, I could have seen a coach going in the direction of, okay, no, we need a spark in this top six now. Let's put him in there. And, and they gave the Bear Grin the, the chance to get his legs. Yeah, and he didn't really last there all that long. No. He uh, was quick, quickly graduated through the lineup. Um, and I think he had some power play time last night too. So he's certainly earned the ice time that he's been given. 
Um, I don't know what the ice time ended up in the Ranger game or the LA game, but I know he was well over 15 minutes at least in the LA game. So that's a big sign of confidence uh, from Lalonde into into Bergeron. So it, so far the start has been really good for him. Yeah, and we'll talk about you know where he ended up on the lineup uh, uh, when we covered the LA game. And yeah, he was about 14 and a half to 15 and a half minutes across the two games. So. Yeah, that's that's quite a bit of ice time. Pretty good. The Red Wings uh, opened up the second period by taking the lead, and it was, a, you know, Larkin and Raymond, two of the Red Wings' best players all year. Uh, Larkin with a great pass off the boards, found Raymond with an unreal rip. And what I really liked about the coverage on that is Mick immediately on the broadcast talked about why Raymond was able to do that. So why did he struggle towards the end of the last year and even at the start of the season for a few games? He was being collapsed on. He wasn't able to find space the same way he used to. They were just glued to him, and and opposing teams really cracked down on on shutting him down because he's such a, a dangerous weapon. Especially his shots, a little sneaky. Yeah. Um, and he's been able to find that space again. He's focused more on putting himself in opportune situations where he has a half step or a half second to think and execute. And because he has such high hockey IQ and a fantastic shot and great playmaking ability. That's why we've seen the production from him. So that was on display. Like Larkin, fantastic job pulling the puck off the wall and and a great little backhand pass to him and great rip by Raymond. And yeah, there was uh, those two keep rolling. Yeah, he's getting his shot off just a hair quicker than he was earlier in the season. And I think, you know, in the NHL, that amount of time is a world of difference. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, he's looked good and uh, those two keep rolling along. Yeah, the Rangers tied it before the end of the second on a power play. Um, and then beyond that... <laughs> then the game ended. That was it. <laughs> it was so bizarre. It was so bizarre, right? Like, the third period started up, and it's not like the Red Wings were being absolutely caved, but funny story. I was actually on the phone with my dad. Uh, my dad, we talk hockey. We grew up watching hockey with him. Sometimes we... Uh, we get on the horn and uh, he actually called because he heard uh, Ken mention us on the broadcast talking about the the hot stove event and uh, we were talking about the game and it's still 2-2 and he, my dad doesn't bet a lot but sometimes he likes to and uh, he was like ah damn uh, Adam Fox just scored and I bet on this game being six goals or under before I even got off the phone with him it was I think 5-2 like Adam Fox scored that goal and was it the world's best goal no I think it was a little soft but it's like the Red Wings just gave up. They scored four goals in just under three minutes. <laughs> the final score of the game won't be a surprise to anyone. It's, it was 8-2 New York. And they went into the third, in the first five minutes of the third, tied 2-2. It was... I, Brad uses this phrase so often. Oh, God. You know what I'm about to say. Maybe. It was a parody of itself in terms of the Red Wings' third period collapses. Because they have still have that problem. We've talked about it for a few episodes now and for the last, you know, decade. But this was like... And this... You, it, it usually feels just like, you know, a trickle. Like, a it's a slow burn mm-hmm. to these leads. And this season, it's felt like it just happens in three minutes. And you blink and you're like, what the hell just happened? Six unanswered goals in the third, and, you know, I don't think Huso did a great job with them. I think the defense did an even worse job. I think Sider, the focus is always going to be on Sider with these, but it's not like he's been good, and it's just like the team's dragging him down. Like, no, during these collapses, like, I think that was Sider and the rest of the defense's worst period all year. That's not a hot take. Six goals against unanswered, but, like, the defense imploded 
I don't care if that's Dominic Hasek in net. No one, no one's yeah. saving that game for the Red Wings. Patrick Waugh is walking up to the f- first row of the stands telling the GM or president he's never playing for the team again. My goodness. And it's like, what happened? I was doing my recap at the end of the game and I was like, okay, the first 40 were the the first 40 were fine. And then it's like a different team walked out in the third period and you're at home. Like you get the matchups you want. I don't know. I understand and and we have to take our own, you know, not medicine or advice here by saying like yes, these games are still going to happen and Derek Lalone had some very prudent or or, or poignant uh, comments that he said a few times here, which is like, this is why this team has to execute to the nth degree and and get it 100% right, because we are not matched up against these teams. The Red Wings, on paper, aren't as good as the Rangers. They're not as good as as the Kings. They're not as good as a lot of teams. But, and I agree with that. I think that is, I I love that honesty honesty from the loan, but I don't think the Red Wings are six unanswered goals, eight, two worse. There needs to be a kind of mental check, and it has to start with the defense on how this team plays the game. Yeah, if you're less talented than your opponent, you A, either need to outwork them or be out-prepare that team. And if you're not prepared to come into another period against an ultra-talented team like the Rangers— you're gonna pay the price for it, and and we cl- that was on full display uh, yeah. the other night. So I, I don't know really what you say about it. It it's tough to watch. I'm sure it's even worse to play in yeah, and yeah. just watching, being almost helpless to the onslaught. But yeah, there there needs to be more commitment and more readiness to start games and to start periods. Regardless. You know, I think the Red Wings understood that one in terms of how it can't get away from them like that. They traveled to L.A. and they had uh, what it is for everyone in, in Detroit in this time zone um, on on this coast of the continent, a late night game, a 1030 game. I know some folks uh, from across North America and beyond uh, like the West Coast trips for different reasons. So a little treat for them. But yeah, 1030 game and it immediately felt like a slog because it was <laughs> 1030 at night when they started. And I don't think the Red Wings off the hop were that good. Really? Really? <laughs> I, like, really for the first 40 minutes. First of all, another bad game from Ned. The goal, Those goals were... I mean, it was the... the they scored in the first... Uh, Elliot scored in the first 10 seconds. Nine seconds in. Like, nine seconds in. Uh, it was just You can basically just clip that part I said about <laughs> being prepared to start periods and games and just insert that there as well. Um, because when you're on the road... You absolutely cannot get behind like that immediately, and especially against a team like LA who can shut it down when they need to. Yeah, it's it was. They're a good team. Now this was a funny game because it was a little bit of an inverse in terms of the Red Wings that we've seen. So the Red Wings walked into the third period uh, not completely scoreless. They had a goal on the board. Dominic Kublik was able to score on the power play. Good feed from Hronik and. Uh, of course, Kublik's going to bury it because he all he does is he, produce, he, apparently. He outpowered Cal Peterson. Yeah. Uh, the Red Wings walked into the third period with a 4-1 deficit, and all I could think was two things. One is they need to have the best third period of the year to win this game, and two, all I could think of was the previous game where they had the worst third period of the year. So, Yes, if you need to have a third period to really come back, the, the track record of, of late has not been ideal. I was so convinced I'd go to bed after that game 
completely like with no tone change after the second period. But funny enough, we got an inverted Red Wings. Not really that great through the first 40. Uh, and then all of a sudden turned it on with the kind of pressure and generating chances. It's not like they were world beaters and absolutely dominating LA to the point where there's no way they couldn't come back. Uh, uh, or there's no way they weren't going to come back. But they were really good. And I thought if they had sustained that level of play through the at least most of the game, they wouldn't have walked into the third period 4-1. But uh, Larkin was able to get a uh, power play goal. Great feed from Sunquist uh, from down low. And then Philip Hronik. Philip Hronik, a point shot went in. Yeah. And I was like, oh my goodness, Clean, finally. Cleanly. Yeah. And we, we haven't seen that. We don't see much of that anymore. And that was with an extended net pull really early on. I think, I think like, it was like four and a half, maybe even five minutes left in the game. And... But, Two goals down. I mean, that's what you have to do. And Red Wings of old would have given up two or three goals, and the game would have ended at a much different scoreline than what it did last night. So you know, seeing that, seeing them come back to that four three, it ultimately ended four three, and it was a little bit of a uh, too little, too late effort. But it is a slight positive. Like you take the positives. Kubalik and Larkin kept producing. Bergeron had another good game. I thought. Um, you can say the same for, for Raymond who, who got on the board and Perron, uh, in terms of an assist and Perron had a couple of assists as well. Like those are all things you can draw from the negatives here though, is I understand they, they're getting on the road and they just traveled a long way. The old LA sorts. flu. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but they needed to turn that game on before the third period. Yeah. When you look at just the pa- past few games, period by period, like the Red Wings basically played a full game. Well. We're basically non-existent for a full amount of a game. Yeah, and you you can't have no. that. The Red Wings, I I thought were extremely sloppy in their execution in the first two periods. Passes were all over the place. People were missing assignments everywhere. Um, there were I can't I can't remember who scored. Maybe it was maybe it was a Grundstrom goal, mm-hmm. but it was basically almost a carbon copy of the the Mike Hoffman goals the other night. Rasmussen's coming back with back pressure. Um, him and the def- defenseman don't communicate who's got who, and Mike Hoffman and or Carl Grundstrom are wide open, and you just cannot be doing that at the NHL level. Um, so it was just preparedness once again was not there, um, but the team really started to figure that out, and and Dylan Larkin made it his life's mission to to bring that team back into the game last night. Could they have been helped if if that was a game with Huso in net where he was you know lights out? He might have held them in it a little bit closer to the third period. But the maybe sto- the story goes is that the team needs to be better to the point where they can't have to rely on the goalie. the The spoiler here is I don't think much is going to change in that regard because the that's a talent issue. I'm not trying to do like a gamer meme here, but it's a skill issue, honestly. Yeah, the the Red Wings goalies have to be the basically the best players every single night to give this team a chance to win. Yeah, especially against teams that have far more depth and skill than the Red Wings do. Well, let's talk about some offensive talent. Uh, Johnson Bergeron again played those two games. Actually, he almost <laughs> he missed the call from Derek Lalonde telling him he was called up and playing. Uh, he thought it was a spam call. This is a failure on the <laughs> telecommunications. Regulatory bodies, because if I don't recognize the number in my phone, I'm not picking it up either. <laughs> so I totally sympathize with him. <laughs> I I go through waves of sometimes I 
I just don't pick it up because I'm like, whatever, they can leave a voicemail. And then sometimes they've gotten really good at spoofing to like area codes around you. Yes. Or area codes that you know you converse with them a lot. Yeah. And especially near the event, I was getting a lot uh, from Detroit. And I was like, great, this is something to do with the event from the team, someone else. And it was all just spam calls. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I understand, Jonathan. Yeah, I totally don't blame him because if I don't have... If I'm not almost 90% sure I know what this call's about, I'm not picking it up. And even if I do, I still probably am not picking it up. So yeah. uh, good thing he have, he resolved that issue. Well, uh, he looked good. And I understand that Bertuzzi coming back might change things and Soderblom coming back might change things. But quite honestly, based on how Bergen looked, I'm of the mind of, you know, Soderblom could possibly benefit like I don't think he was playing lights out to say the least especially after his really hot start and I've said that on this podcast he might benefit from some time in Grand Rapids it's easy to send him down I I understand that they might want to keep him in the NHL because if it's just like a a legs thing like getting your your legs and your lungs to the NHL pace and and that stamina then you know give him some time to adjust but if Bergeron's coming in hot and they've said before they want to give him an extended look if they're giving him a look. I, I kind of vote that they find a way to keep him on. Whether that's Soderblom or whether that's scratching a different forward. I know Zarnex up. Like whatever it might be. Uh, I like the idea of Berggren having his time to to really display what he's doing. Because it's the first two games, it's looked good. And the schedule's quite conducive right now to give him a good look. Because they've got San Jose and Anaheim coming up. Yeah, and they then have the Anaheim. Blues. Anaheim on or, Tuesday. Sorry, Blue Jackets? Yeah, Anaheim Tuesday, San Jose Thursday. Those are both late night games. And then the Blue Jackets on Saturday at 7 Eastern. So if there's any teams to really get a good look at what this guy's got, this is the time. And, you know, the Red Wings started out the season with a really pretty relaxed schedule as well. And that helped Soderblom get on, on the board and get his legs under him. But, like, it's it's such a small sample size for both of them, like, it's hard mm-hmm. coming into the NHL, especially straight out of from Sweden, right? Like he hasn't played any North American hockey, like before the NH- this season. Yeah. yeah, before the season, like the NHL is an absolute grind. So the fact that Soderblom's been less productive than he was at the start is no really no surprise. No, um, but yeah, I think I think Bergens should get an extended look at this time, see what he's got. The schedule, you know, is conducive for him to to find his legs and he's played in the AHL before and like he knows really you know what the schedule and what what that that grind is like so he he could take this opportunity and never look back and um you know if Soderblom's got to go down for some time in the Grand, in Grand Rapids if they feel that's the best for his development path then I don't see any problem in that at all there's a lot of moves Lalone can make it's not just Soderblom injuries are going to come lots and go. of guys yeah speaking of injuries Tyler Bertuzzi could be back as soon as Tuesday. So we our next episode might be talking about a Tyler Bertuzzi game. It's not guaranteed, but if all things go well, he'll play Tuesday night against the Ducks, 10 Eastern. Um, if not, I would imagine we'd see him by the Thursday game against the Sharks. But that's, Easy. Those are good games to work yourself back into the lineup. Yeah. It, it's just a good sign that really he's traveling with the team too. Yeah. Like he's ready, essentially almost there. And of course you want to take your time. You don't want to rush him in too early and re-aggravate because they really need that guy playing games. And the ugly part of this is they need him playing games for two reasons. The One, showcase. <laughs> yeah, like it, there's no contract yet. So if he's not signed, you either need to know who he is for the sake of the contract negotiations and or 
if you know he's not going to sign because one of a million reasons you're too far apart on term, you're too far apart on money, yeah. whatever it might Just be. Just replay every episode for the past like five months. Yeah. Then you need him having, again, you're right, Evan. He needs to be showcased to other teams because they're going to want to see that he's healthy and effective. Everybody needs more information and for their own reasoning. Personally, I just want to see this team... Not lose? Yeah. <laughs> well, so <laughs> this is another showcase in uh, I want to smack everybody who says, oh, you guys just love when the Red Wings lose so you have something to whine about. It's like you have no idea how much more happy people are and engaged people are when this team wins. I want to print their uh, the Bergman goal. I want to print it into a newspaper-sized piece of paper, roll it up, and just swat the next person who says you guys just love to whine. Because it's just so much better when this team has something to cheer for and the fans are excited about something. And you know what? I understand opposing teams' fans are always like, oh, Red Wings fans are spoiled. Red Wings fans have gone through a shitty decade here. Like a shitty decade. Yep. Then they've been patient through it, and it's a very smart fan base, but... At some point, you can't keep having these stinkers. So, yeah, I want Tyler Bertuzzi back. So this team is tougher to play against, produces more, and uh, has a better chance to win games. Yes, because it does get tiring. Oh God! Uh, watching loss after loss pile up. Last season was season was at, was probably uh maybe last season, maybe the season before were definitely the t- two toughest seasons. Season before last for me. Yeah, that was like the. The pain was never ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we've got glimpses of a team on the up and you know we want to see more of that. So I think now there's a little bit of sprinkling of expectation in there. So yeah. when we whine, it's coming from a place of we expect more from this team, unlike the past years where we just wanted it to, to end and we we're starting the prospect profiles probably <laughs> now. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's cut to an interview here with Prashant Iyer, a really good friend of the show and uh, someone who brings um, a lot of great analysis, especially in the world of analytics and uh, brutal honesty. So you won't be uh, new to Prashant, and if you are, well, I hope you enjoy this interview. Stay tuned. <laughs> Prashant, I'm laughing because I'm just now realizing that you set your name on our call to Ryan Spilled Coffee, or Ryan's Spilled Coffee. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, whenever we have those sorts of delays, we have to we have to make sure we make fun of them. And Ryan spilled a whole bunch of coffee right by expensive equipment, so that's that was going to be my name. Relaxing Saturday afternoon, just saunter up to the studio, set up for my call with Prashant, and I just decided to spill an entire, almost an entire coffee. Yeah, and uh, in the middle of like sopping up coffee, I pulled out my phone to text you. Sorry, delay. Spilled a whole coffee in studio. Anyhow, I'm glad I have my friends to keep me honest. <laughs> oh, yeah, immediately. Yep, immediately logged out and then I logged back in with that name. So, <laughs> Folks, this is Prashant Iyer, a good friend of ours, end of the Winged Wheel podcast, returning to the show. Prashant, how have you been, man? You know, been, uh, been busy, been flying all over, but I'm finally back at home for a couple of weeks and actually get to look at how this Red Wings team is doing. Yeah, that's good. It's when we uh, When we planned... This interview, we thought how this Red Wings team is doing would be a lot more of a playoff-centric conversation in terms of how crazy is it. And we'll still have that conversation, but that third period the other day was pretty much a big... Uh, it was like the universe grabbing a news, rolled-up newspaper and whacking us in the nose with it and saying no. It's important to uh, get those sobering reminders for this team so that we don't get too high on our high horses here uh, this early in the season. 
So uh, the Red Wings right now stand in an interesting spot, and I don't think it, it is too crazy. Uh, if you had told us before the season that the Red Wings through 14 games would be 7-4-3, and three, I think a lot of people would be pleasantly surprised. Uh, but I don't think it would have been insane considering, you know, the additions that Steve Eisenman made to this team in the offseason and considering the schedule that the Red Wings have had to kick off the year. But why don't we get your take? What do you make of this team overall, where they're at, how they're playing, and, and how have those 17 points kind of come around for them? Yeah, so I think anybody who has spent more than one day following me on Twitter knows that I will be brutally honest about this hockey team, uh, whether that is to your liking or not. And so let's be brutally honest about where the Red Wings are. This is not a good team at 5-on-5. Five five. In fact, at 5-on-5, five five, if you look at their expected goals for percentage, uh, which is a measure of kind of the quality of shots they're generating versus the quality they're giving up, they're actually worse than last year at 5-on-5 five five right now. They're actually in line with where they were in 1920, you know, that historically awful season. Uh, so they're not playing particularly well at 5-on-5, five five, and that's okay because – They've got a lot of injuries. They've got a lot of people out of the lineup. It's been a little bit of a revolving door. We can give them a little bit of a pass there. The reason that they're picking up points is they've had a timely special teams and timely goaltending. Billy Husso has been out of his mind. He's been arguably the best addition this offseason next to maybe David Perron and Dominic Kubelik. Uh, but but Husso has been absolutely tremendous up until the most recent shellacking against the Rangers where the Wings really left him uh, out to dry. And then the other kind of big thing that's really helped the Wings pick up points is their power play has been much more dangerous than it's been probably in the last decade from just the quality of chances that they're generating. And their penalty kill has been opportunistic. And what I mean by that is, yeah, they're still giving up some, some high-quality chances while shorthanded, but they're capitalizing when they can be aggressive and actually generating shorthanded chances as well. You know, we had the shorthanded – uh, um, penalty shot the other game uh, from Dylan Larkin that he wasn't able to convert. Uh, and you've had a couple of shorthanded goals uh, that this team has scored. And so that's what's really allowed them to stay competitive, even when the five on five game is not there. But I think the important sobering takeaway from this is if that five on five game doesn't get better soon, there's only so many times you're going to get lucky and be opportunistic with your power play penalty kill and goaltending. It's not going to be able to carry you. So just to state what you what you just said, I guess maybe in different words, what we're expecting is a regression to the mean here. Over a, a 82 game sample, we're not going to see the same kind of luck come through. That is going to level out and the Red Wings will probably, you think, fall lower in the standings unless something changes. Yeah, I mean, if the Wings continue to play at the level they've been playing at at five on five, I would eventually expect the goaltending to regress a little bit and the losses to pile up a little bit more. I think they've been very fortunate so far to pick up, you know, the points where they've been able to, and they've done so by being able to lock down for stretches at five on five while capitalizing on the power play and the penalty kill. But I can't imagine that if that five on five play stays the way it is, 80% of the games played at five on five, you're not going to be able to be competitive when you're getting absolutely waxed at five on five. They're 27th in the league right now in five on five expected goals for percentage. You're not going to be able to sustain the 11th best points percentage uh, when you're playing like that. The losses of Tyler Bertuzzi and Jacob Verona, among others, there's a revolving door, like you said, of injuries. But the loss of those two especially, I have found just watching the games, the Red Wings at their best against good teams. 
where they're not really expected to win. Their best expected result seems to be, you know, Huso or, or maybe Ned even bails them out and they clog up the middle and it's just a really boring game. And the scoring is ultimately dependent on what does Kubelik do that game to to really impress us or does Larkin or Raymond break through? So what is the the statistical impact and the playstyle impact of losing those two two of the Red Wings' most productive players? Well, when you lose those kinds of guys, I think that's what Steve Eiserman was worried about this offseason, and that's why he went out and added so many different guys, is, is that if you do have those injuries to top six players, you are able to slot in guys that can at least function in that role a little bit better than, than in years prior. You know, if, if you had taken Tyler Bertuzzi out of the lineup, you know, last year, and you had taken Lucas Raymond out of the lineup last year, your options would have been very limited as to who could have actually moved up in the lineup. And that's where we saw, you know, a lot of Michael Rasmussen playing second line center, which was a little over um, his capabilities at the time. And we saw other guys sort of getting those opportunities and just really weren't able to, to, to convert as well as they could. Now with all the depth that Eisenman's added, you've got guys like Kubelik who can still contribute and they can do it a little bit more frequently than you would have, who you would have had in the past. You can call up guys like Austin Zarnick from Grand Rapids who can score a goal. Matt Luff, you know, who can score a goal. That's the depth that you want to be able to have in place. And so that's why the Wings have been able to maybe stay afloat a little bit longer and survive the injuries a little bit better than they did last year. Um, but at the end of the day, Jacob Verona and Tyler Bertuzzi are two top six wingers. And, and Bertuzzi arguably was having one of the best seasons uh, of any winger last year up until – uh, he got derailed a little bit. Um, and, you know, Jacob Brown is obviously one of the best shooters uh, in, in the league, and he has this 40-goal potential every time uh, when he's playing. So taking those two guys out of the lineup, even though you can replace them maybe 70% or 60%, you're still missing a huge chunk of elite talent at the top of your lineup. These third-period collapses, which seem to be a holdover from the previous era, era so to speak, of the Red Wings, they're still happening. You know, the most recent one was against the Rangers where Adam Fox scored and it seemed like the team just gave up. And that, that was my read on it. Like the defense wasn't good all game, but it seems like they just gave up because they, a soft one got past Huso and then it was when it rains, it pours. Is there anything behind these, you know, six, eight, seven goal games against, especially the late, uh, late, late game collapses? You know, I can't necessarily point to anything statistically that, demonstrating why these are happening. But if you look at it just from a hockey structure perspective, if you take a team that has lesser talent than their opposition, so in this case, we're going to say it's the Red Wings, and now all of a sudden you you, you put them down a goal in the third period, um, in order for the Wings to tie the game up, they have to break out of that defensive structure a little bit more. They have to play a little more freely. They have to take more chances. And unfortunately, what I think you saw in that Rangers scheme is as they opened up their structure a little bit, as they tried to force plays to generate offense to try and catch up, they inadvertently were allowing themselves to be outnumbered on rushes against. And the Rangers sort of bogged down. They they, they clogged up the, the, the passes that the Wings wanted to make and were able to very quickly switch from defense to offense and, and transition. And that's why it was two-on-one, three-on-two, breakaways, that type of play that was that the Wings were giving up. It's because – they had opened up their defensive structure to try and force that offense a little bit. And, and I think that's a consistent, you know, thing that's going to happen for a lot of teams. But when the wings don't have 
the talent advantage when the Wings don't necessarily have the guys in the lineup that can allow them to, to maybe create something out of nothing or be able to force the play that's going to lead to a good chance. Uh, that's when you start to see those snowball effects happening. And, and really, for a very young team, this is still an extremely young hockey team uh, from a leadership standpoint and from a uh, just overall roster structure standpoint. It, it can be easy to have them get demoralized, and you can see that happen. But I don't think there's necessarily anything behind it besides there being just a clear talent mismatch between their opposition and them in terms of who's caving them in and the, the, the fact that they don't have a lot of their key guys in right now that can help them overcome it. And I promise to the listeners, it's not going to be a, a whole negative conversation. Uh, <laughs> but you talked about poor, uh, poor defensive play. And, you know, I think Sider has been much better recently than uh, the start of the year. But that third period against the Rangers was probably one of the worst periods, not just for him, but for Sherratt and the rest of the defense as well. It's a little bit of a different Mo Sider that we've seen. It, it, it's I'm observing some kind of frustration. Sometimes looks like he's trying to do too much. Again, it's gotten a lot better recently. Uh, but what do you make of Mo Sider's game coming off of his Calder season? It sometimes feels exactly like what you said. He's trying to do a little too much. And part of me wonders um, if it has to do with just getting adjusted to how Ben Sherratt plays the game. Uh, if you look at Mo Sider's defensive partners from last year, uh, it, it was it was largely Danny DeKaiser for, for most stretches of the season. Um and, and Danny DeKaiser was a very safe, stay-at-home defenseman. He was the guy that wasn't going to be jumping in to join the rush. He wasn't going to be flying up the, the ice trying to get uh, you know the puck in deep. He wasn't going to be racing behind the net to, to lead a four-check. Ben Chirot, as much as we talk about his physical game, the other element that he plays with is he plays extremely aggressive. You will see him lead the rush. You will see him join the play. You will see him be behind the net, wheeling the puck around the boards in the offensive zone. And I think sometimes Sherratt doesn't pick his spots as well as one would like, and that can leave Mo in a bad situation and vice versa. If Mo is maybe pinching and Sherratt's not playing safe, that's how they lead to getting uh, to outnumber, or how, the, how they end up being outnumbered at the end of the day. And so I think it's getting used to the fact that he's playing with a more aggressive offensive partner than he's maybe used to from last year. And how do they, how do they rein each other in? You know, how do they get a feel for, okay, if Sherratt's going, then I need to be stepping back and I can't make the read that I'm seeing here. Or does Sherratt need to step back? I think it's going to be feeling each other out. I think that's why you're seeing it maybe get a little bit better over time. And that's something you're going to hope they figure out as they continue to stick together. And that's probably why they've been allowed to stick together. But I, I, I think functionally that's the problem is Sherratt's almost a little bit of a riverboat gambler. He's a guy who's going to take chances. And yes, we talked about the physicality, but he takes a lot of chances offensively with the puck. You go back and you watch the tape and you just see it all the time. So I think it's, it's, it's a little bit of both guys getting used to each other, trying not to do too much and being aware of when the other guy is going to make a play offensively such that you step back defensively and speaking of defense uh, again that second pair the last couple of games may be uh, excluded from this but Hronik has been seeing a lot better results this year and he's been paired obviously with Olimata all year 
How much of that has been Olimata providing some defensive stability and at points offensive flair? And how much of that is Hronik having uh, an improved season over what he's shown over the last couple? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely a combination of both. I mean, Olimata, for, for what it's worth, no one's going to bill him as an extremely offensive minded defenseman but he's a guy that can make a good first pass that can defend well uses his stick well maintains his gaps well it's just where he really struggles is when he has to turn and chase Um, and he hasn't had to do a lot of that this year he has been asked to do a lot of that because he's played a very smart game and I think that's helped Philip Peronik also play a very smart game I think the two of them in general are not taking a lot of chances that you see Mo Sider and Ben Chirot take. They're not forcing the offense as much. They're willing to sort of stay within the game. Granted, they are getting easier matchups than, than Sider and Chirot. They are also playing, uh, you know, in, in more advantageous offensive situations than Sider and Chirot. Um, but all that being said, you do have to, you have to give kudos to a, a noticeable improvement for both of Mata and, and Hironic and what's allowed them to be relatively successful in minimizing the quality chances against. They're just not taking a lot of, you know, risky, risky offensive plays right now. All right. I'm going to bring this to be a little bit more positive now. Uh, again, we're going to do that thing where we pretend the last couple of games haven't happened. Uh, through 12 games, uh, the Red Wings held a, what is it, 667 points percentage? Yep. And let the listeners know what that statistic was regarding teams through 12 games having that points percentage or better. Uh, what their chances were of making the playoffs. Yeah, so on the Bally Sports uh, pregame show prior to the Rangers game, which we're pretending didn't actually happen, um, in Murph's uh, one minute, he talks about, is it too early to talk playoffs? Um, And if you sort of look at some of the polls around uh, or some of the projections right now from the different outlets, most people still have the wing somewhere between 15 and 30% likelihood of making the playoffs. Um, an interesting note that I was able to find was if you go back to 2005, 2006, and you look at just at the 12 game mark for all teams, if you look at only the teams that had a 667 points percentage or better, what percentage of those teams actually went on to make the playoffs? And to my surprise, it's actually 78 and a half percent made the playoffs of teams that had a 667 points percentage or better through 12 games. Now, that is by no means uh, uh, perfect. You know, last year, the Flyers went 7-3-2. and two. The Flyers went 7-3-2 and two to start this year. That's the 667 points percentage. I don't think anybody's expecting the Flyers to be there. In fact, the Flyers last year, I think, finished 20 games below 500. So there's very real opportunity for the, the, the wheels to really come off. But that being said, it is sort of an encouraging sign to see that if you're able to get off to that hot start and get those points in the bank, you know, you, you're setting yourself up for success. And in the age of so many three-point games that happen in the NHL on a nightly basis, it's hard for teams to catch up to teams in front of them. And so we talked about, yes, we talked about the Wings have played poorly at five on five. Yes, we've talked about how they haven't really deserved the results they've gotten. But that doesn't matter. They got those results. Those points are in the bank. Nobody can take those points away. And so if they can figure out their five-on-five game as they get healthy, as Bertuzzi comes back, as Fabry comes back, as Wallman comes back, as all of these different guys come back, if they can find their five-on-five game and elevate it, they may be able to take advantage of those points that they've banked because it's very hard to play catch-up in today's NHL. Okay, I want you to be cold, calculating, objective, and brutally honest, Prashanth. 
based on what I'm going to say. Like, don't hold back. Let me know how stupid or I've how. I've never held back. <laughs> no, I know. That's why you send me so many mean texts every day. You start <laughs> off my morning with a cold splash of water to the face. Um, right. Based on what you said with Red Wings players eventually returning, and you just named a lot of uh, players that aren't even Verona, but that's obviously one that you can't uh, speculate about, so that is what it is. Uh, and then also consider, you know, this is still a team that's very much getting used to Derek Lalonde's system overall. If you want a micro view of that, just refer back to what you were just saying about Sider and, and Sherratt working together. Uh, additionally, you know, maybe Huso regresses a little bit, but maybe Ned gets some better results because the team has played better in front of him moving forward. All of those things added up, the Red Wings can hold on to that wild card or just outside that wild card fight through to say the trade deadline, true or false? I would say false. Um, you know, I had them as an 81 point team coming into the season. I think maybe I would revise that upwards to, to maybe 86 or 87, but to really be in the wild card picture, you're, you're, you're talking about around a hundred points. Um, and, and so that still puts the wings several wins short of a hundred points. Um, I think the the problems at five on five are still quite large. Like this is a team that's that's getting routinely outplayed. We're talking about you know their five on five expected goals four percentage is just north of forty four percent. Ideally, to be one of the top teams or top sixteen teams in the league, you're you're, you're looking for that to be north of fifty percent, um, or at least in that ballpark. And so there there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and I'm not sure that it's just Tyler Bertuzzi coming back, Jake Wallman coming back, uh, you know, Robbie Fabry coming back that fixes it. Um, and, and, and truth be told, you know, the, this is a big crucial year for the wings. Um, you know, when it comes to deciding how they're going to play out the next few years, this was sort of the year where you needed to see them take that jump. And I think 86, 87 points is a reasonable jump. I just don't see them being able to hang on to that advantage because, for all the things that I just laid out about how they already have those points in the bank, they did also play a relatively weak schedule. And that schedule is only going to intensify. You know, they still have to see Tampa a handful of times. They still have to see Florida a handful of times. You got to see Boston a couple more times. So got to see Toronto. I mean, these are teams that the Wings really haven't had to deal with yet, um, aside from the, 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 the game against Boston. And so that schedule is going to pick up in intensity. and that's where I just don't see them being able to sustain this. Um, but it will be very interesting to see as they start to approach the trade deadline, you know, how, how that impacts the moves. But I, my, my gut is they fall behind pace a little bit. So uh, a little bit of behind the scenes here. A game that Prashanth likes to play in our group chat is he will say, guess the player who, and then he'll name a stat. So the other day, and it's usually some kind of trick question. Like the answer is, you know, what player currently has 70 goals? You don't even know it. And you look and it's actually Adam Ernie. And somehow Prashanth is the only one who noticed. Uh, <laughs> but yesterday uh, you said, which player is leading the Red Wings in expected goals above replacement? And I came close and I named Pew Suter, who was actually second. But illuminate us on maybe an underappreciated uh, Red Wing right now that, that has taken too much heat based on his performance. Yeah, well too much heat based on his performance at the early part of the season, but it's Lucas Raymond. You know, the, the process was there and that's what we're looking at with expected goals above replacement. It's just, he wasn't, he wasn't getting the puck into the net. And really over the last seven games, we've seen that completely turn around. The guys on, 
on fire. Um, and now he's uh, poised to really be right back on track with where he was last year and to get himself in that range of a 30 goal season. You know, he's finding the soft space. He's making the adjustments that were needed to be made. But it's just, it's sort of interesting to see that even despite that slower start, he's come on so quickly uh, because that process is sound and he's made the necessary refinements. Yes, he benefits from getting to play with Dylan Larkin, and and, and that's a lot uh, to do with his ability to find that soft space because Larkin has that gravity about him due to his speed and his ability to play with the puck. Um, But you have to give a lot of props to the way Lucas Raymond has bounced back. He did not allow that slow start to derail him. And he's right back where he, you know, everyone expected him to be at the beginning of the year. Last game, we got a little bit of a treat considering, uh, you know, skilled forwards with seeing Jonathan Berggren's first game with the Red Wings, which was a surprise. <laughs> uh, it was last episode where we we said it probably wasn't going to happen. And then Soderblom's day to day injury happened and that that made us wrong in record time. But uh, Berggren got on the point or got on the board with his uh, first NHL point off of Valeno goal. And they obviously had some great chemistry in Grand Rapids. What do you think about Berggren? Can he seize this opportunity with uh, considering the injuries around him? And what did you make of his first game? I mean, Berggren is is a tremendous talent. He's a guy, when you watch him, uh, he has incredible vision, incredible passer of the puck, great touch, great offensive instincts. You know, he often got billed as, uh, you know, potentially being too much of a perimeter player. But I think that was squashed a bit last year in Grand Rapids as given how quickly and, and well he adjusted. For me, I think the sky's the limit for, for Berger. And I think he's the exact kind of offensive mind, creative offensive player the Wings would absolutely benefit from. You put him on a line with a guy who can shoot the puck well, whether it's Lucas Raymond and you maybe sneak him up on that top line with uh, with, with Larkin and, and, and Raymond, that may be a lot of fun. Or after Bertuzzi and maybe Verona comes back, you get him on the line with one of those guys. He's going to find you, and he's going to get you the puck. He's just such an adept passer, and and that's where I think he'll be a guy that can do a lot of damage for the Wings um, moving forward. So I'd be hard to see it'll be hard to see him uh, lose control of this spot. And even if you go back to that Rangers game, which I know we're pretending didn't actually happen, but unfortunately for everybody else, it did happen. He was probably the best player on the wings that night. When you look at the metrics at the end of the night, him and Joe Valeno, that line did work. And so I I would like to see how he handles himself on the road trip. You know, these West coast road trips are never friendly for the red wings. And if he can handle the physicality out West, you know, that LA is going to bring, you know, there's such a physical team uh, and and punishing team to play on the four check. I think it'll be very, uh, very promising for him to stick if he plays well on this, on this swing. Staying on the vein of uh, young players, I'm not just thinking about Berggren, but I'm also thinking about, you know, Elmer Soderblom had a hot start to the season. It was very exciting, but uh, has obviously struggled a little bit uh, since then, some games more than others. And then I'm also thinking of players on the fringe uh, on the other side of that line, say Simon Edvinson down in Grand Rapids. There's an interesting balance that the Red Wings have to do, where in previous years you would have said, no, no, keep them away from this hellscape that is the NHL uh version of this team in the Red Wings and Stickman Grand Rapids to develop, but it's a better team now. You know, third period collapses notwithstanding, they might be able to do more uh, with that NHL spot. So considering Soderblom's performance and considering, you know, if Edvinson goes strong in, in Grand Rapids, what do you make of that balancing act? And is there are there any moves that you would like to see made? 
Yeah, I think Soderblom, you know, for the start he got off to, obviously scoring in the home opener, that was really exciting. And, and he's definitely got great hands for someone of his size. I think what you've seen over the last few games prior to him missing this past one against the Rangers is he is still struggling a bit with the pace of the game, um, making the reads quick enough, making the accurate reads, making accurate plays off of that. I think the speed of the game is still catching up to him. He is someone who did transition um, directly from the SHL and the, the bigger ice over to the NHL. And I know that's always a, a question mark for folks in terms of, you know, with the smaller ice, um, are, are players able to make decisions better on the perimeter? And so he's a guy that I do think would benefit from a little bit of uh, time in Grand Rapids. You maybe flip-flop him and Berggren, um, you know, given that Berggren's already seen a full year in the AHL and is off to a great start this year. Um, he might be able to be a little bit more successful uh, than than um, Soderblom was uh, at the start, even though Soderblom does offer a skill set at his size that nobody else is going to be able to provide. It's just I think he's got to figure out how to play the pace of the game uh, that that on that smaller ice. As far as Simon Edvinson, you know Ed, Edvinson's been fine down in Grand Rapids. He's he's played reasonably well. I don't think he's been a world beater by any means. Um, you know, he's, he, he's been comfortably good. I think he's still, again, finding his game down there. The Griffins as a whole are still finding their game. Uh, you know, they haven't necessarily looked super impressive, uh, to date. I personally would let him see a little bit more time down in Grand Rapids, uh, before bringing him up. I don't think there's any reason to rush him. I don't know that you're going to get what you want, uh, given that if we go back to training camp and we go back to the preseason, sort of the biggest knock on Edmondson was he was still struggling to make the right reads. Uh, he would get, you know, he had a lot of unforced turnovers, uh, a lot of bad passes maybe on the outlet. So I, I don't necessarily want to have him get his confidence derailed. Again, when you have so many guys out of the lineup already for the wings, I don't know that he's someone that's going to elevate you to the point where it's worth risking that. I, I say let him get a little bit more time down in Grand Rapids. And potentially if you end up making a trade, you know, December, January, February time, and you end up shipping out, you know, one of your left defensemen, then maybe that's when you bring him up and let him get an extended run towards the end of the year after he's built up a little bit of confidence. Okay, the topic that uh, is uncomfortable for Red Wings fans, but it's it's mid-November now, so Dylan Larkin, uh, the Red Wings captain, pending UFA, still without a contract, still negotiating with the team. Uh, you know, the Matt Barzell number, which is, you know, over nine is looming large. And then you consider the cap math and what the Red Wings can offer with that eight, eighth year. You might be looking at a number closer to the eight million mark if you're Eisenman and company. Where do you see Larkin uh, landing here? And, and what do you what do you make of that? Uh, Maybe a disparity of a million dollars or more. And that's just pure conjecture. Yeah. I'm not personally worried about it. Um, you know, the the interesting thing here is is it seems like the cap is going to jump and it's going to jump sooner than maybe most were anticipating. And, and it has to do with the players paying back the debts that they owe from, you know, the COVID seasons. Um, but I think that's part of the reason why the negotiation is taking a little bit longer um, is, is maybe you're feeling out what the cap structure is going to look like, getting a better idea of what that sharp increase could look like. Um, and then from there, being able to figure out what your structure is going to go or what structure is going to 
potentially look. So for example, the most recent numbers I think we've been given is next year, the salary cap goes up a million up to 83 and a half million. And then potentially as early as 2024, we're looking at a four to 5 million increase. And then 25, 26, we're looking at another 5 million increase. So for example, you know, we, we always think about this in terms of cap hit percentage. What is a 10% cap hit this year, which would be 8.2 million, you know, that's now 9.2 million in 2025, 2026, if the cap rises the way it's intended. And so I, I do think you're going to end up with Larkin maybe closer to 9 million because of this. I don't know if he gets the full Barzal number or if it, or if he even ends up a little bit higher than that, but I, I guess roughly somewhere between 8.7 and nine is, is, is where he lands. The deal is going to get done. He's not leaving. Don't be worried about that. I, I think importantly, uh, the wings are just going to let this sort of play out and get get the most accurate picture they can. And we know Steve Eisenman is not afraid to, 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 to let his guys get to free agency. He did this with Steven Stamkos, brought him back, got the clear picture. Same thing I think will happen with Larkin. Now Tyler Bertuzzi, same confidence? No, <laughs> not the same confidence. And I think it has a lot to do with where's this team going to go? You know, if, if for example, let's say, let's say the Wings overperform. Let's say I, my guess is completely wrong. The Wings go out. They're in the wild card picture. They stick. Um, and they maybe narrowly miss the playoffs or even just barely sneak in. Now you're now you're sort of in the uh, the sense that okay the moves I made last year work and now is the time to push forward. So in that scenario, I actually do think Tyler Bertuzzi is potentially a part of the team moving forward. I think at that point you're saying okay I need to load up. Let me lock and load with uh, with, with Bertuzzi here. Uh, potentially throw him a five year deal if he's willing to take it five or six. Um, potentially bring him in a little under Larkin's number. And you roll with that because now you've you've committed. You're 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 scaling up. You're ready to go. In the flip side situation, let's say you fall out of the playoff picture by January, and you're now you're probably going to finish the year eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven points somewhere in that range. Now you have a decision to make. You know this is your opportunity with both Larkin and Bertuzzi um, not having contracts to. Do you need to retry this rebuild and scale back down and sell off at the trade deadline in order to add more first round picks, knowing what the 2023 draft looks like? Obviously, it's a little too late to be accumulating 2023 picks because everybody knows what this 2023 draft looks like now, but it's going to be a ridiculous draft in the entire first round. And so if you are able to, to get those picks in there, I think that's going to be critical. And that's an avenue that you think about if you're out of the playoff picture in January, because at that point, it's, you're not going to be able to add enough to move the needle out of getting stuck in the 10th to 14th range, which is the worst possible spot to be, uh, where you're not drafting from the elite talent and you're, you're, you're more than a couple pieces away. All right. Well, that's. Uh, I think that's about as much hockey content as I'll want to cover with the Red Wings playing uh, against the LA Kings in about nine hours. So certainly they're going to give us a bunch of storylines that are going to make this entire conversation moot. Uh, but just to wrap up, Wings money on the board, that's something that we started together. 
Uh, last year we raised thirty-two thousand dollars. The listeners will know all about this, but this year our goal is fifty thousand dollars. And uh, why don't we give a, a little bit of a refresher to folks who might not know what Wings Money on the Board is and, and how to participate? Yeah, so Wings Money on the Board is is very straightforward. You sort of take the team at large and you say. Uh, all right, based on this statistic or this event happening, I will pledge cert- a certain amount of money that I will donate at the end of the year. So an example would be, okay, I will pledge $1 for every Lucas Raymond goal that he scores in this season. And at the end of the year, um, you know, we'll reach out to you after you've submitted your pledge on our pledge form. If you haven't seen the pledge form, uh, you can find that Google form on the Wing World Podcast website. Um but we'll reach out to you. You make your donation and you'll get entered into winning, you know, a whole bunch of different prizes and stuff that we'll have available at the end of the year. All of this money is going towards the Jamie Daniels foundation, um, you know, to again, raise awareness for substance use disorder. Um, and so really the pledge can be as creative as you want. So I've had people pledge $5 for every Giovanni Smith fight, you know, 25 cents for, Every time, you know, let's say, you know, let's throw it back. Let's say Dominic Hosh was still on the team. I'll play, I'll give you 20 bucks every time Hoshik headbutts a puck. Like stuff like that. Get as creative as you want. You can make your own pledge. You can pick one of the pre, uh, pre-slotted pledges we have. Anyways, it's all about having fun and raising money for a good, uh, a good cause. All right, Prashant, thanks so much for joining uh, us on the show. Until next time, folks, you know how to uh, find Prashant Iyer. He's on Twitter, Iyer underscore Prashanth. And uh, be sure to check out Wings Money in the Board as well, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash wings, M-O-T-B. Prashanth, thanks again, man. Say hi to the little one and to Steph, and uh, until next time. Always appreciate it. Okay, that was our interview with Prashanth Iyer. As always, thank you to Prashanth for uh, not just bringing us the uh, his expertise in terms of analytics and, uh, again, his brutal honesty about the team, good or bad. Uh, but also partnering with us for Wings Money in the Board. So again, that's wingedwheelpodcast.com slash wings, M-O-T-B. Hope to see all, all your pledges soon. Uh, last episode, we took a, a an overtime question asking about what Red Wings would be what position if they were an NFL team. And all of us completely, like absolute dummies, whiffed on remembering that Cop, Andrew Cop, played f- quarterback in high school. <laughs> I was editing and uh, something came through from that segment and I heard it and I heard me and Brad, the two biggest meatheads here, um, just immediately say Larkin and I just f- face immediately into my palm. So we missed the gimmies here. Something else I want to talk about before we get into some NHL news. We mentioned it earlier while covering the games, but most Sider, you know, seems to be, I don't want to call it feast or famine, but... I do think he's been better of late these last two games, not, uh, not counting. I do think we've seen more cider from last year, but again, these last two games, there've been a lot of moments where it's not just like a whole period of play, but I can think of a goal that LA had, which started really by, uh, cider, not clearing the puck and just overthinking it and trying an outlet pass. And it should have just gone out of the zone on the, on the penalty kill. Yeah. Ned let in a puck that I don't think really should have gone in, but still, you know, if you have a goalie there who's not really playing his best that game, it that's the kind of simple thing. And it's not like I'm 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 needling the guy for that one play, but it's just a microcosm of it's the easiest advice to give in hockey, especially to a defenseman. Yes, you'll know, Evan, you were a former defenseman. 
when nothing is going right, you just need to strip it back to the fundamentals. Like just make the basic right play. And who on the Red Wings is better than that insider? Nobody. You have to do the old 2016 Red Wings where you just chip it off the glass and glassing out, glassing out. You can see the frustration on him. And, you know, sometimes it's as loud as he's two hands a stick off the boards when he's pissed off about a goal that went in. And sometimes it's just like, you know, he's trying to do 10 different things at once with the puck. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of people attribute it to to Ben Sherrod. I, I, Prashanth talked a lot about the way Ben Sherrod's game and how that affects Sider's style. And it's a funny thing to say, well, was Danny DeKaiser or Jordan, Jordan Osterley better uh, than Ben Sherrod? No, I don't think they were better players. But yeah, maybe stylistically, they don't mesh with him as naturally. Um, but at the same time, I think what the coaching staff and you know Nick Lidstrom and anyone who's working with Sider really have to dial in on, and I'm sure they already are, is that adaptability. We talked about Lucas Raymond and how he's adapted his game to to get back to finding space because that's where he's the most dangerous. For Mo Sider, he has to find that adaptability to be able to play with different D partners. I said this on a previous podcast, but he is going to be the better of the two defensemen on his pairing, probably his whole career, if not most of it. Wouldn't that be a nice problem to have oh, if he be, wasn't? <laughs> that'd be fantastic. Edvinson, if he comes up and he's lights out, then yeah, that's a great problem to have. But... Sider's probably going to have a lot of different D partners, and he's going to need to be able to adapt. That's what every great defenseman does. And I, I don't think he's not an adaptable player, but through these first 15-odd games through the season, you can see him... Things aren't adding up to the plays that he wants to happen. Um, and the pressure is there, I'm sure, for him to carry this defense. It, this is a better defensive core, but it's still not a good one. But he really, for this team to succeed, it, it can't just be the goalies, like you said, having the best game, being the best player on the ice. Sider has to really be leading the defense that night, too, in my mind. Yeah, it's and you know what? He's still very young, and you know, defense at the NHL level is the most exposing thing you could possibly do because every mistake is, is oh, yeah. witnessed by everyone, and you just wish you could pull the trap door sometimes. <laughs> And he doesn't have the foot speed that like an Adam Fox or a Kale McCarr or Miro Heiskanen have to really, you know, skate his way out of his problems. Like Mordsider is a good skater, but he's not those guys. He's not in that tier of of god level skating ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has to do it with the tools he has, and um, I think he just really has to get back to that. You know, teams are targeting in on him a lot more. You know, he's they're making his life a lot more difficult than it was last year, even though he does have a more capable defensive partner in Ben Sherratt. It's going to take some time. And, like, just because last year was, like, absolutely incredible doesn't – and now that things are going less so, less than ideal this year – doesn't mean, you know, he's going to land somewhere in the middle. I think there's still a lot more to Moritz Sider. It's just every defenseman at the NHL has to find their way yeah. somehow with the tools they have. And he, I, I 100% believe that he will do that. It's it's just going to take some time. So for this road trip coming up, again, the Red Wings have Anaheim before we uh, talk on next podcast, which will be Wednesday night. After that, they have uh, San Jose, so those are both late-night games, and they're back on the East Coast for another road game against Columbus on Saturday. You know, these two, three losses in a row now, Montreal in the shootout, New York atrociously in the third period in L.A. when they they couldn't really rally with enough time. Those are tough losses, some more than others. I still think that there's 
what we've been saying holds true, that this team, it's not a lot to panic about, and this is a lot more in line, and Prashant said a lot of this, this is a lot more in line with where they are on paper, but this team can use this road trip for the reasons you stated, Evan. It's a little bit of a soft schedule, or there's an opportunity to take advantage of points, even if you're on the road against teams that will give you more space than maybe the Boston Bruins will, or whatever the team is unreal right now. So, Cider is is going to be at the forefront of that. Obviously, Huso and Ned is going to pretty much dictate the most likely out of the outcome of that game. But Cider has time, and it's this is just this is what sophomore seasons are like for especially for star rookies. Everybody's got game tape on you now. Nobody at the NHL level is pulling up his his Swedish game tape to, no, to watch no. what he does. They just say, <laughs> "There you got this rookie kid. He's he's huge. He plays a tough." tough-nosed game you got to be ready for them now they've got infinity amount of tape on on Moritz Sider and they know how to exploit some of the weaknesses he has in his game so he's got the talent all the talent in the world to to get through this Uh, people need to pump the brakes a little bit um and this is a this is a California road trip like they're tough and you know it's a good time for the team to do a California road trip. It's still early in the season. you get to know the new guys a little bit better on a personal level. I, I think they'll be okay. All right, why don't we jump into overtime here and, and start uh, wrapping this episode up Overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is brought to you by our patreon supporters patreon.com/ winged wheel podcast if you want to join the dub dub club. Some benefits, you join the Patreon-exclusive Discord, uh, which is a lot of fun, the Winged Wheel Podcast Discord, a blast. We just added a World Cup channel by request, actually, so hockey talk, game day talk, prospects, analytics, World Cup, other sports. There's a Formula One channel because there's a lot of uh, crossover between hockey and F1 fans. Great community and and a lot of fun to to be in. Uh, Of course, you also get automatically entered into every single giveaway we have, whether it's Patreon-exclusive or public. And we have two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season that we are, uh, the majority of them are going straight to Patreon supporters. So we run giveaways for those home games. And uh, if you're a Patreon supporter, you can win two seats to a Red Wings game. They're really great seats too. And uh, it, it gives us money to buy uh, duct tape and uh, socks to stuff in Brad's mouth so we, we can keep him quiet. And he's in my basement this episode. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in all seriousness though patreon.com slash wheel podcast and we can't say thank you enough for supporting the show why don't we start with <laughs> I don't even know if uh, if this is a great question or if it's going to be an easy one for you Evan but I think it's funny from Jack Mullen he says would you rather for Evan change your own car's oil or pay someone else $500 to do it I'll, I would change my own oil I, I'm glad you're you're crazy but you're not insane I already want to change my own tires because I hate spending 50 bucks each time to change your tires over to winters to summers, summers to winters. Like it's just, yeah, yeah. just buy the stuff and it pays for itself, especially when you have two cars. Like my God. Yeah. It adds up. Bill Nye, the thigh guy says, uh, Hey, dub dub boys, even though some games don't go our way, like tonight, it's still good hockey out of everything this season. The compete level is so much higher and you can see Eiserman's vision for the team question, which player outside the wings has been the biggest surprise. I mean, you noted it here, but I think it has to be Eric Carlson in the start he's off to with the uh, San Jose Sharks. Like, see, oh, we're talking about NHL-wide? Yeah, like, yeah. We have Eric Carlson? How yeah. the hell did I miss that? <laughs> <laughs> How long did I sleep in? I'll uh, say Bo Horvat. Okay. He's one of the league leaders in goals right now um, on a crummy Canucks team. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that might be a little bit of a, a niche answer, but I've been 
quite surprised by his goal scoring ability thus far into the season. For me, Gabe Velarde is another name. Yes. Like, I remember I really wanted the Red Wings to draft him um, back in his draft. And I know he had his back injury and he was out for a while. And there's some question marks for LA as to how he'd turn out for them. But he's been fantastic. Ten goals so far in the season. And, um, man, what a that team is looking better and better every day. And Quentin Byfield's in... He's either injured or in the American League right now. I cannot recall. But he's not with L.A., so they still have a loaded pipeline. And uh, Alex Turcott. Yeah. So, my God. Must be nice. And you know what? The next question here from Jeremy Dahl is is basically asking us to uh, give some love to Jack Eichel. And that really would have been a great answer to the previous question because I don't want to say I expected it or I called it, but when I predicted Vegas to have a much better season, that was on the back of getting the old Jack Eichel back. And man, he does look like he's back. I'm still loving the drama between him and Buffalo. I loved that so much. It's just the peacocking for the Hattie. Oh God, that was so good. It's nice when you're not, a, you have no vested interest in it or you're yeah. not an affected party by it at all. And it's just great to see. We need way more heels in the NHL and oh, yeah. I absolutely love it. It's amazing. That was my exact thought. I'm like, I can see why a certain Buffalo fan would be pissed. Especially, you know, with how that whole saga went down. But for hockey, just such good entertainment. I saw someone had a sign at that game that said, thanks for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's am- I love it from the player and I love it from the fans. Yeah. Nobody's wrong. Like, that's entertainment. That's hey, so you paid good. your money. You can make your sign and, and you know, voice your displeasure with, with the former captain of your team. Mm-hmm. I love it. Go for it. Uh, Jonathan Melwish says, I've tried to be level-headed about the team's performances since I got back into the wings, thanks to your podcast. But is it wrong to start getting pissed about performances like the third period against the Rangers? Shouldn't results like the Rangers one now be unacceptable? Is there anything that needs to be addressed, i.e. pairing changes? I think you're spot on. I think it's important to be level-headed in that you don't say, you know, nuke the team and fire so-and-so and whatever. That's what Di- Twitter's for. Yeah. Well, or whatever social media site now. Yeah. But it, it, you don't, those big grand statements and, and you know screaming the, that the sky is falling, I don't think that is necessarily warranted. But I think it's really, really fair. And you touched on this, Evan, by saying there's a sprinkle of expectations on this team now. It's really fair to have those expectations and to, as a fan, be pissed off when they don't come through. Like, Eiserman took a clear direction with this team by saying, we are not going to have another bad year. I don't care how good Bedard is. We are spending to improve the team around Raymond and Sider and Larkin. And Bertuzzi and, and everyone else, um, I want this team to be more competitive. They can lose games. They could lose those three games in a row, but the 8-2 loss can't happen. Like that, it needs to I stop. long for the day where the Red Wings just lose a 3-2 game and you're like, you know what? That could have went either way. I essentially like preemptively mute Prashant at this point where they, they're getting bombed like 8 or 9-1 or whatever it is because there's always a stat of like, in the last... 30 years, there have only been this many eight or nine goal losses. And it's like, then the Red Wings have 50% of them over the past two years. Yeah. And that's on a good, good step. Most yeah. of the, most of the time, it's most of them. Um, so yeah, you, nobody can tell Red Wings fans that they're not allowed to be pissed at this. We would never say, oh yeah, you know, this team is, is one of the worst in the league. Even if they were one of the worst in the league, Brad says this all the time. You are not so bad where you're losing 8-2 on a 600 unanswered goal third period. Like, no team in the NHL is that bad, even if they're trying to tank for Connor Bedard. Maybe 20 years ago, yeah, those those losses could be explainable. But in a league where the, the 
top of the top and the bottom of the bottom are are so minutely close to one another, you can't be having those types of losses. And then uh, last question here from Jonathan Pennock says, uh, gents, the fact that we're still having blowout losses is concerning. Are there concerns with leadership on this team? I can't help but think that when this team starts to spiral downward during a game that there isn't a strong enough voice in the room to pull them back up. Or is this just a still just still a team in transition and we need to wait for the chemistry to build? There's a It's a complicated answer. First of all, unless you're in that room, you don't know what the leadership voices are. Yeah, Larkin has a C on his jersey and he has a certain amount of responsibility. Yeah, they, they brought in guys like Perron and Sherratt to help guide through times like this. Um, so you can't say they're doing a good enough job or a bad enough job. Is this going to be something that gets better in time? It should. Winning culture and winning attitudes and, and getting in the right mental headspace as a team does not happen overnight. And we talked extensively in the preseason. Like This team is going to take some time to settle into their form. And that's not just an on-ice production. It's it's the mentality they carry together. You know, Pick your favorite old uh, hockey commentator, the intangibles. Yep. But that can't be a de facto shield for this team forever. At some point, these losses do have to stop, like we just said. So again, I stop short of saying leadership needs to change or... Uh, someone is not pulling their weight here. You know, you can point to hockey plays that are happening on the ice that need to change. It's, but it, it's, it's multifaceted and it's not so simple as Larkin needs to be more inspirational in the room. And how many, when people think of leadership on teams, how many teams in the Red Wings position can you definitively say have these guys run the locker room? They've established this culture. And they're the ones leading this team to the next stage, whatever that might be. Like, I can't really think of any. When I think of teams that have great culture and great leadership, I think of Boston. I think of Tampa. I think of Colorado. I None of those teams are bad teams. Um, the only good team that I wonder about their leadership, uh, you know, knock this one off your bingo card, is Toronto. <laughs> Toronto, I'm not entirely sure what the hell goes on in that locker room because I don't see a lot of fight from their top players. But, you know, we've probably beat that one to death. Um, but there's... In the distance, the Steve Dangle podcast sprinting towards us. Yeah. Um, might take a few hours because of all the snow on the highway. But yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I can't think of a lot of teams in the Red Wings stage maybe the closest team there would be let's say ottawa maybe buffalo like i can't really definitively say the leadership in those locker rooms are all that different than what i've seen out of detroit and like you said like we're not in the locker room we're not behind those closed doors really hearing it we see the product of that on the ice and in interviews and Mm -hmm. other youtube videos and stuff like that so I don't think the Red Wings really have a problem with that. It it it's something that is nurtured as the team gets better and it, it becomes second nature to a, a winning team. The test for me for Derek Lalone and his staff this year isn't to make the playoffs. And we talked with Prashant, it's still not likely. Um and I stand by that. The test I will hold to this coaching staff and this leadership group this year is is this team minimizing the amount of absolutely monumental collapses? They're allowed to have bad games. 
They're allowed to have off nights. Good players are allowed to to make bad mistakes. That's just hockey. But I want fans, I want Red Wings fans to be able to watch a game. And if they lose in terrible fashion with some like meltdown or third period implosion or whatever it might be, I want them to say, damn, that sucked. And that hasn't happened in months. Like it, we were due for one of those. Yeah, it, it, it's just all too common right now. So by the end of the season and into next season, that's that's kind of where I'm holding that measuring stick against Lalone. So we'll see how the season goes. It's important to remember, it's still only 15 games. So it just is what it is right now. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap this up and we're going to start recording our Patreon-exclusive overtime. So we would like to thank all of you for listening. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. There usually is one more voice uh, on here, and uh, we really appreciate you uh, listening to the Winged Wheel podcast. Tell a friend. That's a great way to support the show. We've had some people tell us, you know, I, I can't do Patreon. We never begrudge anyone for that. That is just a bonus for us. We so, so appreciate uh, for those who are able. But if you're not, tell a friend about the show. Leave a rating for us uh, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your show. It's your, wherever you get your podcast. It's a big help. Um, we, we would like to thank all of our Patreon supporters, especially our name level sponsors on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grant Foundation, Akefur, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry, driver of the number 69 Crying Ryan Hannes Banana Slam Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Actual Elon Musk, Brandon M., Carl Brutina Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris Paul, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets, and Tempe. Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Barry, who I believe is a newer name level sponsor, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, RA, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna the Unshowered, Ryan Hanna's Big Banana, <laughs> damn you, Arjun, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, the podcasting coach, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, uh, Dave W., Philip Zadiz Nuts, Hi, I'll have an order of large fries and a pizza with two eyes, also maybe a win, Veronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingles, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt Keeler, Matt S., loyal soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, M. Cucci, Oophelia, Papa Woody, Puce on the Loose, Thick Rick, and Aaron Hudson. Thank you all so much. Evan, dinner time. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.